This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hello and welcome to the Raptors Extra Weekly Podcast. Today, I have for everybody, all the listeners, not anything that's really Raptor-centric, but actually a really a really cool guest. Today, I'm joined by Daryl Reynolds, who is actually, well, Daryl D. Ray Reynolds, let's call him. He won the NCAA championship in 2016 with Villanova. He coaches there now, and he continues to bless the world with his, his takes on basketball. <laughs> And uh, things of that nature, of that ilk, through his web series, YouTube show, podcast with video, whatever you want to call it, which is Stay Tuned D-Ray. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. Daryl, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction, bro. I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's, uh, it's a little bit poetic to have you on, considering the Raptors are facing the 76ers, and that's, that's your hometown. That's where you're from. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh. Kind of, kind of upset at the you know, results of last night, but it's all good. Yeah, that's your team, Philly. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, Sixers fan, and um, I mean, we knew going into this series would be a little difficult, but I, I did not think it would be it would be this hard. Going, you know, it being two two now, and going back to Toronto is a little. I, I got to be honest, I'm a little scared. But <laughs> who's now. your guy? Who's your guy on Philly? Zambid, is it Simmons, Butler? Uh, nah, it's TJ McConnell. I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I love all of them. I would have to say the obvious choice for me would be Jimmy Butler just because he has a lot of dog in him. 
and bringing yeah. him in to me was exactly what they need. You got a guy with veteran presence, but he also has a just just it's a it's a certain amount of grit about him. I feel like you can't really get anywhere else. And Philly fans love that, but uh, I love T.J. McConnell. He's just he embodies so much of what Philly basketball is about. And I mean, if you ask me, that's a, that's a Philly dude right there, you know? So. Yeah. Well, let's let's flip it then. Obviously, for the Toronto Raptors, the point guard, <laughs> the incumbent yes. starting point guard. You want to talk about a guy who's got a bit of a dog in him? That's what Raptors yes. fans love about Kyle Lowry. He'll bring the lunch yes. pail. He's got yes. a f- bit of finesse too. You're both Philly boys. What is what is the defining feature of the Philly game that we hear so much about? Like, why is that part of your guys's game? Why is it so important? And ha- why does it show up so much on the court? It's what the city is. It's what the city is. Philly is not not. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. It's a, you used the word already, poetic. Um, very very artsy place. You know, it's, it's a lot to it. But what we respect more than anything is grit. You know, when you look at our two main uh, characters. And I say characters, you know, obviously one of them being fictional, one of them being real, but I mean characters in the sense of people who almost everybody in Philly looks up to is Rocky and Allen Iverson. Um, and obviously Rocky being a fictional character, he's known to be from Philly, but you look at his story, you look at AI, and the only like really overlapsing theme is their grit, their ability to get knocked down uh, eight times and get up nine. Just their, their fight, their, their hustle is just, that's so much of what the city is. Like I said, it's an East Coast city. It's not clean. It's not. It has. It has, it's pretty in its own way, but so much of what Philly is is. It's just that's you know that's the only way you can personify it, just a gritty individual. So when you see guys from Philly on the court or people from Philly embracing a guy on the court or on the field or whatever it is, nine out of ten is because they respect that, as you said, like lunch pail kind of blue collar way of looking at things. You know, like I'm not. I might not be the fastest strongest smartest but you ain't gonna outwork me type of feel that's so much of what our city represents and like you said that's why uh you know raptors fans love kyle that's why like that is why kyle's a philly guy not because of you know his his address where he grew up but because of who he is as a person um that's why i chose nova because that was a lot of the things that coach wright had preached upon and what he wanted his program to represent and you, you can't i'm not saying you can't get that anywhere else but philly has a special uh, a special thing about it. And that on top of the underdog, you know, obviously Kyle wasn't the tallest guy in the NBA, um, but that, you know, you're playing with a chip on your shoulder. Rocky in every movie you saw him, he was, he was con- considered the underdog. Philly has a thing about underdog prevailing because it's, I mean, it's the start of our country. That's what our country was. We were the underdogs going into everything. And then so much of it started in Philly. It, it never left. Thank God, you know, it's, it's my favorite part about it, but thank God that that feeling never left. So if the if the sham god and the handles are you know the de facto New York play, what's the yeah. what's the Philly play? You see a guy and the, what is the Philly play? You would know he's from Philly if he does what on the court. How quickly he gets up! How quickly he gets up! If he if he if he with reckless abandon throws himself into a situation like this is a quick story. You know you, you said you predominantly Raptors fans, so I'm gonna throw y'all a bone. <laughs> uh, Kyle Kyle tore his ACL going into his I believe sophomore year at Villanova and um, was supposed to be out for the season and you hear con- you hear different like, accounts of the story but bottom line is he was back on that leg in a couple of months you know what I mean he played that season and got drafted later that year that is what Philly you know loved Allen Iverson yes he would he would have all his flash and obviously he's known mostly for the crossover on Jordan but what Philly fans admire about Iowa Iverson the most is he's the smallest guy on the court. And he's going in there, you know, amongst the trees with no fear, no, you know, no, nothing held back. 
And then you see him hit the ground hard as ever after making the one of the toughest layups you've ever seen and immediately pop back up. Like he would hit the ground and bounce back up. That is what Philly fan, that is what, you know, as a Philly fan, that's what you're looking to see. This guy's going to get knocked down, period. It happens to everybody. How quickly does he get up? And if you get up yeah. quickly, that Philly people respect you for that. There, Yeah, there's something. It's it's definitely, it's so, it's heartwarming. The city of Philly, I feel like, is so appreciated, at least, just at least in sports fandom and recognized across the United States just for the grit, the tenacity. And you spoke about Kyle's torn ACL. I found out about that like three years ago. And yeah. I had never really, I was completely shocked that nobody else talks about that very often, that he just kind of walked on a torn ACL and then was back months later. I had never heard of anything like that. And I guess, yeah, yeah. that does embody the Philly spirit just to go out and grind it out. He went to Villanova. You went to Villanova. He didn't win a championship while there. But uh, was he in-house for your guys' win in 2016? Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. He was there. Um, I want to say one of like, the first couple roles. Actually, ain't no one to say. He's one of the first couple roles. Um, he was there. And um, who else was? There's a lot of Nova guys there, but he was there. But I think, like, more importantly, it was, like, you know, somebody like Kyle being there, it was special. But, like, you know, for him being obviously at that game, but Kyle was somebody that constantly showed up in the summertime. He was, he's one of those guys that, you know, a lot of us would try to tell our work ethic after him because you would look up at 5 in the morning and see him, you know, in our practice gym working out with a former coach or something like that, working out with his guys. And um, I remember, like, when I graduated, he hit me with a little bit of game, like three games, just kind of just looking out as an old head does. Like, he's somebody who's really tied to the Nova community and Philly. And to me, that was the most admirable thing about him. You know, like, he's never – gotten too big for it, you know, for, for anything, or he's never, you know, he never walks around, you know, with his head in the clouds and things like that. His feet are always kind of grounded. That's another thing that Philly people respect, you know, a certain amount of humility. Not saying that other places don't have that, but, you know, um, Kyle is definitely one of those dudes that buy it. I hate to give so much credit to a guy that we're going against right now, but I'd be lying if I say he's one of some of his best qualities. And like you were saying, that that fits in in Villanova, it fits in Philly. Is that yeah. the key to why Villanova has found so success, especially when you were there? But you could look at 2018, maybe if 2016 was like the defensive juggernaut year, 2018 was this offensive juggernaut year, and there's this juxtaposition between the two styles, but the grit never left either team. How does no. Villanova, how does the program maintain this level of tenacity over different players? How do they separate themselves from other programs? How, do they, how are they so special? Um, it's, I mean, well, first of all, it starts with recruiting. Um, you know, he, Coach Wright and his staff does a great job of making sure just they, they get guys that, obviously, you're never going to, that's like any other thing, you're not going to know until you get there. But it, it helps if you have a guy who has a bit of an understanding of what it's going to take, you know, once you get to uh, that level. So in so many ways, you know, it's, it's kind of put on the recruiting. But when you get there, the culture of Villanova is because you have a program that has guys who stick around for four years. You don't have too many, um, you know, one and dones or two and dones, things like that. Like the most recent is probably Amari. Amari was there for two years, one redshirt year, one year as a freshman. Um, and he might have been the quickest guy to leave Nova under Coach Wright you know, um, as far as going to the next level. But you have guys who stay in the program years and years out. And obviously, after two to three years of doing anything, you're going to start to take a certain amount of pride in it. 
And that's something that's passed on to the younger players. If you have guys who are, like I said, involved with the program, um, have sacrificed a lot, you know, to get to where they are and to make sure that they upheld what guys before them have built, then that just, it just trickled down. And younger guys have, they don't have a choice but to, you know, follow suit. You know, obviously they want to. They, it's it's not hard to sell championships, but, you know, at the times where there weren't, it wasn't that hardware in our practice, uh, you know, our practice them, that was kind of what did it. Like, you had a special respect for the guys who came before you. And is that is that a bigger focal point of your game? Is that why you were able to transition into a coaching spot there? Are you are you a big proponent of the of the type of play? I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in so many ways, in so many ways at Nova, my whole thing uh, it was I was I was the dirty work. You know, I was the dirty work guy. I was dirty work D. You know, it was so many like that was what my job was. But for me, it was like, all right, this is what it takes to win. If, if setting screens at certain angles and reading things like that blocking shots and rebounding, that's my, first of all, ticket to get on the floor and contribute. But secondly, I know, all right, if I do this job, you know, I'm a, we going to win. Cool. I was with it. You know, and that was my role there. And because, like I said, I bought in um, the same way guys before me had, and I took so much pride in what we were doing. Cause to me, being a Philly guy going to that school, it was like, all right, this is what Philly basketball is about, you know? And obviously I don't know if you know, we get a little bit of slack, like, oh, Nova ain't a Philly school, blah, blah, blah. But in so many ways, like, all right, this is what Philly is about. This is what I grew up in. This is what I want to, this is what I grew up looking at. You know, these are the guys who I looked up to coming up. So this is what I want to continue to do. That was, um, that's exactly what helped me transition into the coaching job. Well, maybe appealing to your coaching background and, of course, your playing background. You said something Mm -hmm. that stuck out to me. You said setting screens at certain angles. For people yeah. who don't play or haven't played a high level of basketball, that probably sticks out like a sore thumb because screens are observed to just be, you know, a big man plotting up there to go get in front. What are what yeah. are a couple of things that you did at Villanova to be successful against maybe bigger guys, more athletic guys that a regular fan, a casual fan wouldn't understand? I had to be I had to become a lot more cerebral about my approach um, at Villanova. Like you said, bigger guys. But I was always a good athlete. Obviously, it's a few nights a year you're going to go up against a guy that's better. That's just how it works. But um, for me, like, just start on the sudden screen. Sorry. It was, I had to read, all right, what is the best way to get this guy a shot? This play isn't made for me. I got to set a screen. So at what angle can I set it where he can come off and score, not just come off a screen? People don't understand basketball thing, you know, in so many ways, screens is just, oh, yeah, you just run out and, you know, you just you just get the guy out. But it's like, nah, there's a certain amount of intelligence you have to have to know, all right, what are the angles you're trying to play? What are you trying to get done on that play? And some of that can't be – it's like a lot of things can be coached. Some of that can't be um, taught to guys in the sense of, all right, you, you in a way have to think as a, um, as a point guard. In so many ways, like, you have to think as a point guard. It's like, all right, how do I get this guy a shot? And like I said, for me, that was what that was at first immediately what got me on the court uh, at Villanova. It was like, all right, coach realized this. He has when we're when here when he's in, we have a um, a better chance of getting certain shots off. So that was as far as the seven screens go. And really, just being a big guy, an undersized big guy, quite honestly, it's just using your body the right way. You know, using your body the right way. It's so funny how like nowadays you're dealing with this position, this basketball. And you're dealing with a lot of guys who, like, and you look at Draymond Green. Like, Draymond Green pretty much plays the five, you know, for um, the Golden State Warriors. But, like, 
he's efficient somehow. He gets it done somehow. And it's like, you have to be very smart in your approach of how do you use your body? You know, how do you, what time are you using the box out? What time are you using more energy? What time are you kind of conserving yourself? When do you use your speed versus the bigger guy? When do you use your athleticism versus the smaller guy? Like, it really makes you hone in on how you think about the game, not just how you go out there and just, just play and let things happen. Do you have a do you have a favorite player maybe in the NBA that plays kind of the lunch pail, cerebral type of effort game that maybe you embodied at Villanova? Nah, nah. I, I think my favorite player, this is, this is going to be crazy to say, I think my favorite player in the NBA is Kawhi. I've always respected the guys who can do both, and Kawhi Leonard is, is one of those guys. If, if not, the, he is the guy. He's the premier two-way player. Him, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. Um, I mean, it's just like it, – you know where today's game is going. So much of it about is, is the stats um, and what shows up on the paper and what people can kind of quantify and put into a number. Quite honestly, people don't understand basketball. I understand it a bit better, you know, when you can put in a number. And I get that and I understand that and that's where the game is. But I've always had a special respect for guys who, you know, do whatever it takes outside of the stat sheet. And that's why Kyle is the Raptors leader because many things he does inside of the game um, – he makes a lot of things happen that don't show up on a stat sheet. Yeah, I I think there's quite a few guys on staff for where we write that have tried to write the article that highlights all of the things Kyle Lowry does, but yeah. hardly anything shows up on the stat sheet. Like even for Pascal Siakam's dunk in Game Four, mm-hmm. you have Kyle Lowry, a six foot point guard, who's randomly setting screens in the middle of the paint. That that helps a lot, but a lot of people don't notice, and that certainly doesn't really show up on the stat sheet. You could go yeah. into the, the really, I guess, fickle stuff and go to NBA.com and find who's setting screens. But the, the casual fan doesn't really notice that stuff. Like you yeah. said, you're, you're an athletic player. I want to ask you, which, which is maybe your favorite dunk you ever had at Villanova? Was it like St. Joe's, the one against Miami? Is there, is there a favorite one of yours? Uh, my favorite dunk against Villanova, it was against Seton Hall at home my senior year. Um, Jalen comes off a screen by me, a flat screen, so pretty much just sending him in any direction he wants to, but it's sending him towards the basket. Um, a flat back screen, and he comes off, shoots a three, and I get a four run at the basket, go up, and one hand put back. And it was so big for me because it was kind of like the exclamation point on that game, you know, it was kind of early of just, you know, we were setting the tone um, in so many ways of what that game was about to be. But Seton Hall had beat us at least once a year for my first three years. And that was the only time, my senior year was the only time we beat them both times in regular season at their house and our house and in the, uh, the Big East tournament. And it was not easy, but just when I think back on that year and I think back at Seton Hall, that's the first memory that comes up. And yeah, Seton Hall is my least favorite team in the Big East. <laughs> because of the losses? Uh, it's just it's something about them. I, I think because of so many ways, I, I got to you know admit this to myself. They represent a lot of the same things we do. You know, uh, Northern Jersey School, they pride themselves on grit and toughness and kind of just punking other dudes. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what they kind of want to go in games and do. They want, they want their point guard to pick up at 90 feet. You know, they want them to be clapping and yelling in your face. But uh, I just, it's something about it. Like, I could never place my finger on it. I just, they are by far my least favorite. Like, from Arian Foster in the NFL, uh, quite a few NBA players have talked about it, most famously Jalen Rose, I suppose. A lot of people have been talking about the college experience for a student athlete, especially yeah. not for like, you know, hockey guys or lacrosse guys, but NBA players, football players. 
huge guys generally who need a lot of food to sustain what you're trying to do, a lot of sleep to sustain, a lot of rest to sustain, like the upkeep on your guys' bodies. What what was that like for you, trying to maintain yourself through your years in Villanova? Did you feel well supported? Was there any shortcomings? Are, are you looking for things to improve in that area? Um, I mean, to be quite honest, I got a lot better when it when I got out of Villanova. Um, and that's not a knock to Villanova because while we were there, our strength coach was also our part time nutritionist, and he was huge with it and monitoring our meals and make sure that you know we could play at our best, uh, you know, our best game because we we felt the best but obviously in being a college student once you get you know you get that leash off you a little bit you, you go and do some things and I definitely got better a lot better with it when I got out of school but I can't emphasize enough how much it uh how important it is you know to make sure that you're you're putting the right food in the tank you know it's not easy um to eat a certain way obviously the rest and things like that I'm sorry I feel like as a basketball player if you're not taking care of something as simple as sleep you can't be trusted on the court. You know what I mean? Like, that's something that's kind of go without saying. Like, if you can't be trusted to sleep and get your body the proper rest, I barely touch on that. Because to me, it's like, that's a no-brainer. It's like saying, tie your shoes when you get on the court. Um, <laughs> but the nutrition nutrition factor is a huge part. And it wasn't, it's, it's difficult because it's an expensive lifestyle. Um, in college, it's a little bit easier. In some ways, it's a little more difficult than other. In the sense, it's easier because if your, you know, team is behind it, your strength coach is behind it, and your coach believes in the power of good nutrition, then obviously your meals are going to be tailored as such. But then you have those temptations of being a college student where we all know for the first time in your life, you have access to a lot of food that, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't get away with on a constant basis at home. You know, somebody might check you at home and when you're in college on your own for the first time, it's a little tempting to make a run to the gas station and get, you know, a bunch of things or make a run to a 7-Eleven and rack up on a bunch of chips and soda and stuff like that. But no, nutrition is definitely a huge part. I guess going past that, I kind of wanted to talk about just you are a student athlete. Obviously, you know, the rigors of going through that. A lot of people lament how difficult it can be. You did all four years. What was the biggest challenge for you going through that lifestyle? Going, obviously, you as, I don't know what you were like as a student, but as a player for sure, you hit the pinnacle of the NCAA. You guys won. So you're obviously taking on a ton of workload there. Almost can't even imagine any more than p- what's possible. And then putting on your responsibilities as a student. What was the toughest thing to do? Toughest thing to do? It's um, a great question. We had so much help at Villanova as far as academics and things like that go and just accommodating us. Um, you know, teachers being understanding, not easy going but understanding and all the everything that we had going on so i don't think the academics were necessarily hard to upkeep uh i think the hardest thing to do was to realize how much of a, a backseat your social life has to take in college at that level you know when you're trying to get something done and i think anybody out of college can attest to this you know anybody in the real world can attest to this um you know, your, your social life at times has to take a back seat for you to get business done. And as a college student, it's kind of hard to understand that because, you know, if you're in a class with 20 people, let's say you got one other teammate in there, those other 18, okay, let's say you got a couple of more athletes, at least 15 of those people do not live your lifestyle. You know, 15 of them, you know, they go to class, they go home, and their home is probably off campus or something like that. So they have a certain amount of freedom that you don't in the dorms and things like that. And it's tempting. It's tempting as a college athlete to say, I want that experience. I want that college experience um, as well as being an athlete. But, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. 
So in so many ways, I think that was one of the more difficult parts was, okay, I want to be social. I want to go out to parties. I want to be, in some ways, a regular college student. But I also want to be an athlete. You know, it comes a point where you have to decide which one are you going to be through and through. You've you've spoken glowingly about Villanova so far, which is great and honestly (laughs) terrific to hear. So I guess let's compare what sounds like a world-renowned program at Villanova. It sounds like your coaches cared about you, your nutritionists cared about you, your teachers cared. Sounds like a it's great not, I mean, spot. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not perfect. It has its flaws, but you know, I'm a lead over. But they did a good job. Exactly. They did a great job. They did a great job. Yeah. So what's the difference between that and you played in Poland? Yeah. So going from one of, you know, let's say they won the t- you guys won 2016, 2018, one of the best programs in America for basketball. Going from that to playing in Europe, in Poland, what was that like? Uh, Poland was humbling. <laughs> First and foremost, it was humbling. I realized how many things at Villanova you feel like just get done. And obviously being there four years, you kind of get conditioned to think things just get done. And then as you get older, you realize that, no, there's a lot of people working hard once you go back to your dorm after practice or after a game um, to make sure that your life is what it is. And obviously, yes, basketball is the main focus, and everybody there is happy to help in that way. But it was definitely humbling in the sense of a lot of things fell on my shoulders. But for me, it was it was a dream. You know, I love the the, the uh, I, I like being alone, to be quite honest. And the way that the polling kind of it wasn't isolation. You know, it was solidarity in the sense of like I would go to practice. You know, we would have lift or something in the morning or like a shooting practice in the morning and then practice later on, like six, seven at night. We would usually have our games um, and that was pretty much every day. So that adjustment was a bit much, I'm not going to lie, kind of doing two a days every day in Europe, which a lot of them countries do. But I love the idea that I have my own money, first of all. I call it what it is. You know, I'm not about to step around that. I have my own money. Um, you know, they pay for your housing and things like that. Uh, and I had to take care of, you know, uh, certain things like laundry and stuff like that that I, I normally had going over, you know, just – you're used to your game, you know, your practice laundry just being washed. And now I'm in a position where it's like, no, you got to make sure that happens. And uh, it was humbling, but it was fun. Like I said, just being alone, working on your game. And it was nothing. It was no distractions. You know, I didn't have to worry about what this looked like or what that looked like. I just showed up, played ball, went home, chilled out. Um, and I, my other passion is writing. Um, I, I got a lot of that done out there. You know, on days we had off days and stuff like that, I could go places and just write, you know, and, and, and kind of tap into that. What I went to school, I went to school of communication. I kind of tap into that other side as opposed to being in school. You know, not no knock on school, but a lot of the classes you're taking aren't necessarily geared towards what you want to do later in life. And, you know, once you get out of school, you have that freedom to really chase that stuff. So I think, to me, I mean, I loved overseas. I understand it's not for everybody, but it was dope. It was dope. What was your favorite and least favorite part of Poland culture or Polish culture, I guess. Uh, least favorite part, how many beach they ate. They have this thing with beach. Beach is like their mashed potatoes <laughs> for us. Like it seems like so many meals were shared with just, they had to give you beach with it. It was not a fan of that. It was not a fan of that at all. Um, but my favorite part, it was cheap. <laughs> it was cheap. It was cheap. Their currency is about a third of ours. So, you know, I would go somewhere and they would say X amount of lattes. That's their dollars. Uh, and then I, you know, I swipe my card and I look at my bank statement and we just ate a great meal for like three bucks. Yeah. So it was cheap. Yeah, I live I in Mexico right now. Money, but... Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Puerto Vallarta. And yeah, the, 
the currency, the exchange rate, and like how cheap food is, you could eat good. You can eat exactly. really good. Exactly. Yeah, it's terrific. For the for the low. Yeah. yeah. You said you 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 do writing. What do you write about? Uh, I want to ultimately write and direct for film, um, and that was that's pretty much what I focus on. You know, um, I don't. I want to get away from basketball. You know, I'm not necessarily uh, huge on basketball, um, but like I said, not I'm not saying that in that sense. I'm not huge on basketball in the sense of my writing, but um, you know, dramas, love stories, just anything. I, I want to. I like that writing kind of gives me an avenue to look at things kind of outside of just basketball. I think that's, and I hate to, to stay with this theme, but the whole shut up and dribble thing, it really shed a lot of light on how athletes are looked at, you know, in the sense of, all right, that's what you grew up in. That's what you know. That's all you want to do. And that's not the case, you know, in talking to athletes, as you probably know, um, you know, we have other aspirations, other dreams, you know, other things we want to do. I'm actually in LA right now. And it's like, I see why, this the scene for movies and things like that. It's just it's so rich in opportunity when it comes to stuff like that. Like I said, that's what I like outside of basketball. Yeah. Well, that's the the shut up and dribble thing is really confusing because the idea that somebody might not have something very important to say just because they play basketball. Most of my colleagues who are beat reporters for the Raptors, they say, like bringing it back to Kyle Lowry, when they share a room with Kyle Lowry, pretty much everyone there feels like he's the smartest guy in the room. And why would you veto that guy from entering into a conversation? That's yeah. um, that's cool that it's that you want to do film. Is it? Do you have any favorite movies based on dialogue? Like, do you like any uh, specific screenplays? My favorite movie based on dialogue has to be Casino. Has to be Casino. Um, directed by um, Martin Scorsese, De Niro, and Joe Pesci. Uh, took place. I'm gonna say they made it in '95, but it, it takes place like in the. 70s slash 80s, you know, when everything was going on with the the, um, the casinos out in Vegas and what it kind of shows the story of how right the tipping point before Vegas became what it is now, back when the mob used to run it. But um, the character development in that movie, you know, the way the guys spoke uh, about each other, the way you kind of, it's a three hour movie, so it ain't, you know, it needs time to sit down and actually watch it. But just the way the story starts off and everything's supposed to be a dream and it just shows how through people being people, not necessarily any like crazy circumstances, but just how in life people being people is just great. And there was no CGI or any, not anything that's wrong, but there was nothing to distract from the story itself. You know what I mean? I think that's why it's my favorite movie in that sense, because it's just character development and just great speech. You know what I mean? Um, I, that's why I loved Quentin Tarantino's movie. It's gory and it's flashy as some of his movies can get. The thing that you have to admire the most is just like most of his movies are just guys having conversations. Like you look at a movie like The Hateful Eight. Um, is that the right one? The Hateful Eight. That's one. Yeah, the Hateful Eight. That's a yeah, terrific the movie. Exactly. The Hateful Eight takes takes uh you know it, it takes place in several places. I give you a better one. My fault. Not The Hateful Eight. The Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs takes place. They have yeah. the one uh, bank scene. They show you how they're setting it up. They have the restaurant. They have the trailer where everything takes place. That's four settings in a movie. But yet you see for an hour and a half, you're not lacking any entertainment because you're seeing how these guys got to where they are, um, you know, what their stories are for the most part. And yeah, it leads some things to imagination and you got to kind of connect the dots. But like I said, film, to me, that type of film is incredible. You know, it's, 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 it's incredible. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Film and narrative story driven things are one of the few treats in the world, along with basketball. There's 
like where you can see everybody's motivations being fleshed out the character development just fantastic uh, i guess we'll get one last thing before you go uh hate to be just go right back into basketball for it but no, you're good, you're we, good. Get, we we got to get a pick from you who who's taking the series the 76ers or the raptors and what will be the defining narrative for the last three games um i said the 76ers and seven from from jump i'm gonna stick to that i do not like i said i do not like the idea we actually spoke about it on i host the podcast from believe podcast network for me and my co-host Aton shander hate to plug that so shamelessly but i have to <laughs> um, and we were talking about it last week in the sense of um you know he was like what happens in this this two-game series in philly and i was saying that i would have hoped Raptors would have got the first one because I don't like the idea of them having the momentum and kind of get, hitting their stride as we go back to Toronto. But it's been kind of unpredictable series. I'm still going to stick to seven, but I'm hoping that Philly can get this game in Toronto coming up um, in the next couple of days. I think I said before, I think the key to this series for the Sixers is Jimmy Butler and vice versa. I think the key for the series is uh, Kawhi Leonard, as we saw last night and in game one. So much falls on those guys' shoulders because they're the only matchup that doesn't kind of either X itself out where, you know, one guy cancels the other guy out and how much he's going to give up and how much he's going to give. Um, but they're the veterans on each team who have been to this point and made it past it, or at least been to this point and fought diligently. You know what I mean? In Jimmy Butler's case, obviously Kawhi has made it past it several times. But, um, yeah, those, those two guys are the keys. And I think if, if they're playing well, the teams are playing well. You saw Jimmy Butler in game two completely came alive. It was a different game for the Sixers. You know, um, and not to knock Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, but a lot of it falls on Jimmy's shoulders. Yeah. Before the series, we did our roundtable where our staff was talking about, and I specifically was like, Jimmy Butler is going to bust us up. If the 76ers are going to win, it's going to be his doing. He's yes. a bad man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess so. uh, I'll let you go now. Um, the floor is yours. Plug whatever you want. Tell the people where to follow you. Whatever you want to do, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, follow me on, on social media. It's D-Ray, the director, D-R-E-Y, the director, um, on so, uh, Instagram and Twitter, um, the Believe Podcast Network, uh, me and my co-host, Aton Shannon. Like I said, we have our show, Uncontested. We talk all things 76ers. I have my own show on there as well, uh, Believe in the Big Five with D-Ray, where I talk about the Big Five, which is Villanova, um, Temple, Penn, LaSalle and St. Joe's basketball, sorry. Um, talk about those five schools and the tradition of the Big Five. A lot of people don't know about, but believe me, it's on its way back. Um, and my show, Stay Tuned with D-Ray, on Apple and Spotify Podcast Network. Perfect. That's much it. it's that's been... that, that was a lot, but that's it. <laughs> that's, no, it's good to have a lot on your plate, man. You're really killing it. And, thank man, you, it's, man. Been a, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Nah, man, thank you for having me. Thank you for asking questions that, that, that you know, Kind of challenged me outside of basketball. You made me think about some things that, be quite honest, I ain't thought about in a while. I'm so used to Man, that's good. stuff like that. That's what we're here <laughs> to do. You. Yeah. Um, oh, to man. anybody listening, make sure you follow, you know, D Ray, Daryl. Mm-hmm. Get after him on any anything he's putting out. He's a great guy, obviously, thoughtful, and he's trying to make some great content for everybody to listen to. And whether you're listening to this at night, at day, stay blessed, enjoy yourself, and goodbye. My man. Thank you. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? 
In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.